0: Doop doop It's my fancy intro music. Hi, I'm Joe Federer, and you are listening to the Social Media Psychology Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the mindsets of actual human beings who drive online culture, so we can sell more stuff to them through marketing and advertising. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening at Can this year. Uh, as an entry point into a topic that I am super interested in, especially as a marketer, but also as just a general internet dork, uh, meta-advertising and meta-culture. Now, if you are a fellow internet dork like me and you participate in online communities like Reddit or 4chan, or I imagine 9gag has some of this going on too, really any online space where you're identified not necessarily as your offline self, but more organized and connected to other users through your interests or your ideas, um, meta culture is probably something that you have run into quite a bit. Now, for those of you who don't participate in these communities, um, you should know that we, we refer to you all as normies. Um, but meta culture, meta advertising, kind of all derives from the word meta, obviously. Meta means something that is self-referential. So if I am thinking about my thinking, we would call that meta thinking. Or if I make an ad about an ad, then we're, we're meta advertising. Uh, and actually, there's some really interesting kind of nuanced different ways that meta advertising has, has kind of come to life and, and grown over the last 10 years, um, probably longer than that. I think we could probably even make a case that things like behind-the-scenes footage uh, are meta in some sense, in that they are kind of productions about the productions, um, at least as pieces of content to individual users. Now, the reason that I I specify that people in kind of anonymous or interest-based online communities are more likely to have encountered metaculture uh, or at least have, have interacted in metaculture more regularly um, is that I think metaculture is a new way that humans online are, are kind of defining in-groups and out-groups. I think it, you know this is a natural human tendency for us to kind of want to figure out who is kind of within our group and and then kind of uh, inherently within that definition of who is in our in-group, who is kind of not in our group. Um, When we're participating in online communities, particularly when we're not identified by our driver's license name. So in a platform like Reddit, uh, we have a, a username that we create that follows us around and that Usually is detached, right, from the name that we use on our driver's license or in paperwork, um, or then the one that we use on Facebook. When we're in those types of environments, um, 4chan is another one, right? So 4chan is somewhere that we actually can be completely anonymous, um, and that's opens up a whole other kind of can of worms because there's no <laughs> there's no accountability at the user level, um, which. I actually think is, is kind of an interesting force in the world and something that we could learn a lot more about if we were not afraid to look at it. Um, but in these places where we're kind of, I wouldn't say struggling to define ourselves, but rather kind of we have a, a background program in our brains running to kind of figure out who's, a, who's within this community um, and who is just kind of here browsing or looking at it, one way that we can do that is by making jokes about the jokes that we all know about. So we see this in, in Reddit communities very, very frequently where um, because users share a feed at a subreddit level, um, so a subreddit is what we kind of call colloquially a community on Reddit, that subreddit view is showing you um, as an individual user all of the content that that community has decided collectively is the most interesting stuff for the day. Usually, if it's a if it's a pretty active community, you will find that every day there's a there's a new set of stuff within the kind of top posts in a subreddit. Um, and so when you're when you're looking at that view, it's very very it it can look very much like a social feed would in any other social platform. Um, But it's distinctly different in that that subreddit view doesn't care so much about who you are as an individual, what your particular preferences could be. Um, It's not looking for posts that are particularly relevant to you based on your browsing habits. Rather, the community is democratically saying, you know what, through voting things up, upvoting, and voting things down, downvoting, we're defining what the most popular content is going to be within this kind of space today. Um, and what's what's powerful about that, I think, you know, when you intuitively just kind of imagine what that means for you as a user, you know, it's it's hard to conceptualize why that would be any more valuable than something like a Facebook or an Instagram, which is doing a ton of work to figure out what you as an individual are interested in seeing today, right? Facebook is taking into account all of the user connections that you've made, right? So all of the friends that you've added, it's looking at the pages that you've subscribed to, if you've checked any interest boxes anywhere on the site, it's looking for content that satisfies those. And then it's got this second layer of of kind of algorithm that it's building as you participate, and it's saying hey, you know what, Joe said he likes books, but he's definitely not engaging with book content, so scrap all of that and let's feed him more of this, I don't know, meme content that he keeps consuming. That's a a bad fellow kidsy example. I should add myself to the how do you do fellow kids section that's gonna come right after this, uh, just for saying that. But um, the point being that when you're on a platform like Facebook, there's a ton of there's a ton of, of information that's that's being kind of processed to figure out what is the stuff in your feed that you are most likely to interact with. And that's that's definitely valuable for us, right? Like there's there's no question that platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, who are all kind of trying to kind of play this personalization algorithm game, LinkedIn is in there too. Lots of different social networks are in there. Um that there's, there's something valuable to getting content that's just suited for you. But there's a separate kind of value that people get out of this community level curation process. And one of the kind of behaviors that we see very frequently kind of played out in these communities is that a popular joke will hit the front page of that community today. So it'll, it'll be at the top of the subreddit for the day. And then, someone sees that and makes a reaction to it or makes a joke about that joke or makes a post about that post. And it assumes that the other people in that community have also been exposed to that content. And it can, it can pretty well do that for people within a specific community because there is not a personalization algorithm applied to the community level view, right? So The community level of view is for everybody, it doesn't matter who you are in the world, what your profile picture looks like, how many followers you have or anything like that. It's showing you the same content that it's showing everyone else in the world who's interested in the content that's relevant to that community. So one of the ways that we define that in-group, we we kind of create our city walls by creating this self-reflexive content. that's one really, really particular way uh, that people are using meta content online. Like I said, we'll we'll explore some really different and kind of unique ways that advertisers are tapping into that, Um, not just in terms of culture, but meta in the sense of, of kind of being aware of the space that the ad is living in and kind of becoming relevant to people, not through kind of high data, predictive, analytical types of of kind of relevance, but rather relevance in the sense that I can, as an advertiser, imagine what it's like to be you, the human on the other side of my ad, as you see this in your feed, or as you see this at a bus stop, or as you see this on a billboard or in a movie. So that is going to be kind of the main theme of the conversation today. I want to start with my favorite little segment. How do you do, fellow kids? Which is where we look at brands that have lost their voice in pursuit of engaging with a Gen Z or a millennial audience. Um, this is based on a community on Reddit called r slash fellow kids. If you have not subscribed to it, if you have not visited it as an advertiser or as a marketing person or just as a person interested in <laughs> companies and, and kind of professional entities in social media, it is hysterical to kind of see the way people are having conversations about uh, these kind of either the vast majority of these posts are when brands kind of miss. And then every so often, there's a highlight of a brand that really, really gets it right and kind of earns their way into into meme culture or into kind of digital culture generally. So I want to start with an ad. By a guy named Mike Gravel. Now, Mike Gravel is apparently making a presidential run in twenty twenty, and he is putting out some really dank mimi ads um, that you know you you almost expect more out of the Trump camp, um, but that are uh, in no shortage on Mike Gravel's Twitter, uh, apparently Instagram who knows where else he's activating. Now, this ad that made the the front page on Reddit, not just in the fellow kids community, but has almost 20,000 upvotes, so really reached pretty far and wide uh, on Reddit, um, has a title that reads, this man is running for president. And the image is actually of Joe Biden. And it, it showcases Joe Biden with uh, Apple AirPods that are like twenty times larger than the average AirPod, uh, and they just kind of like f- stick out of his ears. And they read the the caption on the post reads, "Oh no, Jalen Joe is wearing mega AirPods, which make him extremely tone deaf to what American people actually need." I should also mention that. Much of the font is written in Comic Sans, but there are also some really cheesy, just kind of like default text effects that are happening. This is very, very kind of trendy in uh, the the deep shitposting culture. Um, If you go to Dank Memes, if you go to a community called uh, Deep Fried Memes, you'll find this kind of text really reflected well there. Deep Fried is a reference to the idea that uh, as images get screenshotted over time, they kind of lose their, their quality, they degrade over time. So deep fried memes plays that up to total hyperbole uh, and showcases memes where you can hardly make out the images because they've been run through a billion filters. Um, and so you often end up with these wacky kind of like text effects that make them almost illegible. Speaking of metaculture, and the, the system line written by username Mike Gravel 2020 is just hoping Jalen Joe sticks. So I I don't honestly know what to do with Mike Gravel. I, I did a light exploration of his, his Twitter account and he, he does genuinely have some more serious um, kind of messaging and, and kind of talking points uh, for what it would mean for him to be a presidential candidate um, it looks like what he's doing is trying to raise money to get himself on the debate stage he's running on a platform of no more war which you know it's one of those one of those platforms where you're like well okay w- explain to me the other side of this uh <laughs> it doesn't necessarily seem like you're addressing the issue but fair enough fair enough War war sucks we can all agree Mike, uh, if you're listening that, that we don't want any more wars, but this type of, of kind of meany, um, meta ad, I, I think is only going to become more and more prominent in politics, you know, for better or worse. Uh, there's, there's no shortage of posts from 4chan, um, over the course of the last election kind of talking about early on, let's, let's meme Donald Trump into the white house. And then by God, the mad lads actually did it. Um, or at least that's the, that's the kind of rallying cry on 4chan where, you know, we, the, the kind of mantra of 4chan users is for the lulz, which is LOL spelled incorrectly, L U L Z. And the idea being kind of, uh, we should be able to laugh at everything in the world and because we can laugh at everything in the world we should laugh at everything in the world um and there there's there's in some twisted way there's a there's a zen lesson to be learned there but in the in the scope of political advertising i think we're going to we're going to see a whole new level of attack ads that both take themselves far too seriously and and don't take themselves at all seriously, kind of simultaneously, if that makes any sense. The next highlight from Fellow Kids uh, is is from Quick Trip, which I, I honestly did not know that they did social advertising um, until this post reached the top of the Fellow Kids community, and I, you know I, I gotta give it to them. It's it's uh, a <laughs> I went and checked out so this on Fellow Kids uh, the subreddit you often actually you will exclusively see screenshots of different ads you won't see the actual ad in the wild kind of on a facebook page or an instagram account or something like that so i had to go and like kind of check out what this quick trip ads uh, reception was on their facebook page and it was surprisingly good they had you know some 500 shares on their post they had 2100 upvotes or <laughs> upvotes i'm talking like redditor Twenty one hundred likes, and it doesn't look like they're promoting their content. So, for an organic presence, that's actually a, a pretty strong showing. Now, the the meme that they've that they've created here says, uh, "System copy: When your gas is on E, and only inferior gas stations are in sight." And then we have uh, what is a kind of classic meme image. I, I honestly am, am skeptical of whether or not they actually got the rights for this image. But it does. It is one of those memes that's kind of just like derived from stock photography. So who knows? they, they may well have done their their due diligence and chosen an extremely low resolution version just for the hell of it. Um, but <laughs> it has a a little old man shrugging in a red turtleneck and just says, "Guess I'll die." So, you know, I guess their gas is just that much better. Like I said, though, I mean the Quick trip uh, Facebook page is pretty pretty meme savvy, um, at least in kind of like a Facebook level kind of meme conversation would go. Um, you know they're they're getting shares. they got shared on Reddit, probably not exactly in the way that they wanted to and the the last example I want to cover here is is actually. A perfect meta ad to kind of transition us into our can conversation and beyond. So, in order to understand the meme here, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the original format that they're playing off of, which was uh, it's like a relatively low quality illustration of a car salesman next to a car. Uh, and a guy who looks to be kind of considering what the car salesman is saying. There's no text uh, kind of built into the image. We're just kind of presented with this kind of like, it looks like car salesman and potential buyer standing next to a car. And the original version of this that went super viral uh, was uh, Slap's roof of car as if, as in the kind of Dealer is slapping the roof of the car and saying, this bad boy can fit so much spaghetti in it. And that probably doesn't make any sense to you um, unless you are, like I said, a fellow deep internet dork. So the idea is that having spaghetti in your pocket uh, on the internet, on the deep internet is a way of kind of talking about or kind of referencing a social shortcoming. So, if I uh, was a middle schooler and I went up to the cute girl in class and I stuttered or I said something weird that made her kind of laugh at me, I might describe that as me having spaghetti falling out of my pockets. Um, so, the original version of this meme is is this idea that like ah this uh, car salesman is slapping the roof of the car. This bad boy can fit so much spaghetti in it. It's the idea that uh, we're we're kind of like selling or potentially buying um, this spaghetti holder uh, because maybe our our pockets aren't big enough or something like that. So the original meme is kind of this, uh, the, the format became that the car salesman slaps the roof of the car and says, this bad boy can fit so much blank in it. And that's kind of where the internet went crazy with it. Now, the Wendy's Twitter handle took this, and this is actually the, the post is actually from like a year ago, but it continues to resurface every so often on Reddit because I mean it's just so good. It's like well well done, Wendy's team. It's one of the only brands that gets regular kind of shout-outs in a in a positive way on the fellow kids community. Um, so rather than the car salesman, it is a brand Twitter slaps the roof of the car and says, this bad boy can fit so much dead memes in it. And then we have Wendy's logo uh, kind of superimposed over the car salesman in some really kind of low-quality memey way, uh, and a Twitter logo sat, slapped over the car. And then the, the Wendy's system copy is uh, just buy our cheeseburgers. So it's this ultra-meta ad, right? So Wendy's is poking fun at other brand. Twitters uh, by kind of saying that they they use dead memes or maybe they beat, beat dead memes into the ground. They're also poking fun at themselves, right, because they put the Wendy's logo over top of the, the car salesman's face. And that is something that, you know, I think is a real part of the secret sauce uh, to kind of brands integrating into digital culture this way. If you can be a little bit self-deprecating, it kind of takes the teeth out of anybody who kind of comes back and and tries to be uh, a jerk to you on social media um, if if you're kind of poking fun at yourself first. And then the system copy I just find so brilliant. Just buy our cheeseburgers, right? So now we have this kind of like it's this play on... The only thing, the only reason we're making these memes, which are actually genuinely good and probably could earn their way uh, to pretty, pretty wide engagement with the general internet, is to get you to buy our cheeseburgers, and we're just slapping that right on the right on the system copy. So it's a it's an extremely effective ad by uh, by Wendy's, in my estimation, at least insofar as it gets people to think about the brand in a way that's that's relevant that's kind of like self-aware um in fact that's reflected exactly in the commentary from redditors in this um top comment is buy our cheeseburgers with nothing else the best part second top at top comment is they're probably the most self-aware brand i've seen lately so Wendy's is kind of going into this dark territory that, that no other brand seems to be able to enter, at least, you know, except for in kind of fleeting moments. Um, and, you know, they, they're they both, you know, I would say that the the real kind of key to like what they're doing, at least for, as an outsider, is that one, they genuinely get meme culture. they're They're super well-versed in it. Um, and they, they understand the nuances of these different kind of formats of memes that they're using rather than kind of just slapping new, new text onto a, a format that, that has generally been adopted to, to say something else, which I, I see a lot of brands do. Um, two, when they're making these memes, right, they're not, it's not just, hey, let's, what's the most engaging thing that we could ever post in the history of the world? it's how would our brand kind of filter this meme through that lens? Like how do we make something that genuinely feels like it's coming from the perspective of the brand uh, and not just kind of a a grab for engagement, right? So in that way, they're transparently adding value to feeds by being culturally relevant. And then, uh, you know, I think the third piece, and this is something that I think, lots of brands are going to be uncomfortable with, but are going to need to get comfortable with if they're going to succeed in, in kind of social media and digital culture generally is that being self deprecating. That's, that is a part of meme culture. It's something that you see reflected in meme culture extremely broadly. It's how users are talking about themselves. It's how users are talking about other users. If we're a brand and we're going to enter that space, we need to have a little bit of a thicker skin, Um, when we, when we go to kind of engage in, in these, these types of conversations, if we're going to go engage in these types of conversations. And if we're not, then let's just stay away from them. Okay, let's move on to the Can Film Fest. And yes, I'm going to continue calling it Can because when I say con, I, I just feel like an imposter. Um, Can is when we all pat ourselves on the back for having made art with our clients' budgets and then spending our clients' budgets to promote that art uh, to broad audiences. Um, th- this is actually something that we kind of touched on in a discussion about the r advertising community on Reddit last week. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a real gap between how we evaluate ourselves as an industry and how the actual humans out there in the world who were meant to be convincing um, think about this content and think about our ads. Um, this is one of, the, one of the rare times when having an art degree uh, comes in a little bit handy. Um, when I was in college, I studied both uh, fine arts, uh, drawing and painting, and advertising within our, our kind of communications school. Um, and so I thought a lot about the kind of difference between what it means to make art and what it means to make artful advertising. And one of the things that I was really struck by in uh, in school particularly uh, in kind of business and advertising classes was that you know those those really terrible used car dealership commercials that like played nonstop when you were a kid or they you know they, they probably still do but they they like don't run them on Hulu so i don't see them anymore um, those ads are extremely effective when an advertising car dealership puts content out there like that. It demonstrably increases traffic and purchases on their on cars on the lot. It does most of the work that we would expect really polished, great advertising to do, but that we would think something relatively tone deaf like that uh, probably wouldn't. Um, and, you know, in, in even more recent studies, I, I found an interesting kind of, kind of parallel effect here where uh, in past agency lives, I have, I have worked very long and hard on developing content strategies that uh, for major brands kind of utilize their media space most effectively. And that's, you know, that's, that's really in broad strokes how I think about it. Um, I'm I'm relatively happy with the kind of separation of church and state between media agencies who are going to find the most efficient places to to stick stuff, and the fact that they're what they're doing is buying space for me as the creative agency to fill. Right, so what can we put there that's going to most effectively uh, convince people that our brand is relevant to them, drive them to purchase, or you know, whatever whatever kind of we, we consider to be uh, that that kind of primary KPI from which the KPIs that we actually talk to the clients about are are loosely derived. Um, as much as I wanted the the like most engaging or the most shareable content or the most strategic content or the most creative content that we tested to be the stuff that drives the best sales. The biggest differential that I that I have witnessed in multiple tests, uh, with particularly with, with in-feed Facebook ads, is whether or not the logo was shown in the first two seconds. So there's there's some amount of and and to be fair, you know, this is kind of skewing towards recognizable brands that you know their most of their goal is just kind of like build recall and build familiarity with you so that you know, when you get to shelf or when you when you go to make a big purchase, uh, that you know, their name kind of comes top of mind. But I do think that it's it's really relevant to this conversation around what is effective advertising? What do we aim at as advertisers? I think we've we've all kind of had those conversations, at least those of us within the industry, about advertisers who advertise to advertisers, and that's a real effect. And it's something that a lot of the the large agencies, at least the large creative agencies, are, are kind of scolded for, um, but not in any not in any real way that's going to take away their uh, Cannes Lion, the the Grand Prix winner, um, which is the, the kind of highest award that an advertiser can get at Cannes. Um, you know, is is always a respected agency. It it usually becomes kind of a windfall for that agency and and kind of wins them new business for the following year. So while everyone is kind of patting themselves on the back, um, I'm I'm choosing specifically not to use the euphemism of jerking each other off, although I have to tell you that I'm I'm tempted to do that. I won't. Um, this, This UK firm called System One put out a very interesting study that looks at the, the kind of performance of Can Lion and Can Grand Prix winners um, and kind of stacks them up against average advertising. So the way the study works is uh, people are asked to score ads on a scale of, of one to five for their emotional effectiveness. Um, the methodology is approved by an organization called the IPA in the UK, which is the Institute for Practitioners of Advertising. Um, And it's it's apparently a a good predictor of, of how performant an ad will be. Now, hilariously, of the 11 Grand Prix winners that were tested in this group, five of those scored a one on that scale. So a one out of five—the absolute worst score that they possibly could have have made. The the can lion winners. So the the study is separating out grand prix winners, which which are the the kind of top award uh, for the festival, from gold lions, which are which are also extremely prestigious, but not quite at that same bar. The gold lion winners fared a little bit better, um, with fifty three percent of gold lion winners. Scoring a three or above, um, as compared to sixteen percent of the of average ads scoring a three or above. So, you know, a three is a is a pretty high bar in the scope of of this study. But the only Grand Prix winner to score a five out of five on that scale is a meta ad. Now, if you pay attention to advertising and. Advertisers talking about advertising, you have absolutely seen this commercial um, or at least snippets of it. This one was created by Sachi and Sachi for P G. the It's a tie to ad commercial, which you know, it not only kind of took the internet by storm last year, but you know in terms of, of meta advertising is, is pretty much in the middle of the bull'seye there. Uh, so the the ad right is is a spoof of many different kinds of familiar advertising we have the um, like a stereotypical weightlifter commercial where it turns out to be a tied ad we've got a mechanic under the hood who turns out to be a tied ad we've got the diamond necklace being placed on on a woman which turned out turns out to be a tied ad um, and of course you know this gives the internet total license to go take every ad Meme and, and video clip in the world, and uh, you know, cut it so that whatever happens in the beginning was actually just a tied ad. Which surprisingly, you know, if I if I had been working on that campaign as kind of a as a digital strategist, I would have probably been a little bit concerned about where the internet might take that. Um, but the the popular ones, the ones that got spread around, really were were pretty positive. Um, I'm sure that. Someone listening can dig up some some absolutely horrible example of like World War II footage, um, like internment camps or something, and and turn that and see somebody who turned that into a tight ad. But uh, at least in terms of popularity on on platforms like Reddit, on platforms like 4chan, the ones that really made the rounds that got spread around and shared through the rest of the kind of social web. Um, they really were pretty positive towards the brand and that's that's really a, a feat on their part um, and really speaks to the, the kind of self-awareness and the, the creativity within the bounds of, of kind of the brand framework you know I think that's often when we when we see advertising that doesn't quite match up to our expectation of the brand or that doesn't quite feel within the brand's voice, that's often where we, we kind of lose people and where we kind of attract the negative attention that you know, I think we all we all kind of like dread uh, creating a spot like the Pepsi Kendall Jenner, Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner. I don't know it, one of those two. I, somebody's going to be mad at me for not knowing the difference between those two, but um, honestly, I just don't. So, meta advertising, I think is just it's an, it's a really interesting trend. It's something that we we see. I think increasing in terms of its uh, the frequency that, that ads are, are doing this. Um, I think this this kind of PNG. It's a Tide ad was a really interesting example of you know taking a f- the format of of TV ads and playing that back to us in a way that's funny and interesting and surprising, and it it kind of hacks the medium right. So when you when you watch the the single Tide ad, it feels like you're watching a bunch of five-second rapid-fire ads for different things that, you know, even just in terms of, like, user mindset, of, of viewer mindset as they're watching, you know, I think we, we all have kind of felt that trigger of we're, we're zoned out for the commercial break while in, in, like, during a game or watching a show or something, um, and something kind of, like, snaps us back to attention, I think the tie ad is a really interesting way of, of kind of snapping people into a, you know there's a there's a jarring kind of transition that happens between each of those ads, and they're really maximizing the space that they've got right. So most of these likely ran in thirty second spots, and they were able to fit probably five or ten different creative variations into that into that thirty seconds, and I think that's a really effective way. Of, of grabbing attention in a medium that's really struggling for attention. I think we, you know, I don't, I don't have to pull up statistics for you all about how much people are on their phones while they watch TV. It's kind of just taken to be truth for us at this point. Um, so finding these kind of subtle ways and these interesting ways for us to disrupt people in a way that isn't, isn't jarring in a negative way, isn't, isn't pissing people off, but rather is doing so in kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek and surprising way, is really interesting. Now, the the Wendy's ad, right, is is another example of a place where a brand did something surprising, something that was extremely self-aware in the medium. It was it was something that felt extremely at home on Twitter, and it was surprising to see a brand making fun of brands in social media. So that's it. That's kind of a, a separate way. We can think about what it means to be meta. What it means to be kind of aware of our channel as we're engaging in that channel, and I think that's that's the real kind of um, learning for me as I kind of reflect on what's so compelling and what's so interesting about meta meta advertising is that this is a space where brands and the ads they're creating are aware of themselves in the space that they're that they're playing in now. Like I said, there there are other ways, right, that brands can kind of get meta with ads. And one that comes to mind from the past year that I, I thought was particularly hilarious came from uh, Wyden Kennedy up in Portland uh, for RX Bars, right? So if you've, if you've seen the spots, they're featuring iced tea uh, and he kind of pops out of a window and he says stuff like, I'm a rapper and this is an ad or... They offered to pay me in mint chocolate chip RX bars. Or money. And I took the money. And they're just, they're just kind of hilarious. They're, they're ultra meta, right? They're, they're referencing themselves as ads. So they're not, they're not poking fun at another advertiser. Uh, they're not kind of being self-aware in the space, but they're self-aware of the, themselves as ads. And they're self-reflexive in that sense which you know, I thought was, was extremely well done, um, again, by, by the folks at Wyden Kennedy. There is also a brand of oat milk called Oatly that is doing a series of ads that are, are pretty hilarious uh, out in the real world. So I stumbled across one of these on a, on a BART ride so a San Francisco public train ride the other day uh, and have seen them pop up on, on Reddit and a few other uh, kind of social channels, uh, kind of organically, which is which is great for them. Um, it, so one, one reads, oat milk ads in trains that give you something to read so you don't have to make unnecessary eye contact with complete strangers are so convenient. Um, and I think it's 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 super well done, right? Like this is something that it's a big block of text. It's plain white background with kind of signature blocky character-y text. Um, So it's super recognizable and it delivers on on kind of predicting what is the, what is your mindset, right? When you're, when you're standing on a train, they've done these uh, similarly as like billboards. Um, They're doing some ads that kind of reflect on themselves. So, they have a, a series of, of train ads. You know, the, the one says, look, a poster trying to get attention of someone who might be interested in a barista edition oat milk. And then one ad next to it says, look, a poster trying to do the exact same thing as that poster and then points over to the poster next to it. So um, I think it's an especially hilarious way to try and grab attention. I will, I will be candid. I have given oat milk a try not this brand, but I cannot shake the feeling that it tastes just like like dirty cereal milk um and not like not like the good dirty cereal milk, not like fruity pebbles, leftover cereal milk. like like somebody just ate like, I don't know, uh, like grape nuts and then just left a bowl of that of that milk behind. And that's to me, that's what oat milk tastes like. but, if I hadn't tried oat milk before, that ad just, just jumps out at me enough that I, I might like the brand enough to, to give it a shot. Um, I noticed a really amazing ad, uh, again, in person in San Francisco, driving the other day, and again, have seen it pop up on Twitter uh, and Reddit in a few places. And the ad, so it's a, it's a giant billboard that's extremely visible from uh, like the main highways in San Francisco. Um, And the ad says, uh, welcome to L.A. And I remember driving past it and thinking that somebody has got to be getting fired for this. There's no way (laughs) that somebody could have messed that up so badly so that they gave, I guess, the, the ad creative to the wrong printer and brought it to the wrong city. But then I realized that in super small font below the Welcome to L.A. sign, or Good Morning L.A. is what it says. My, my apologies to the, to the copywriter on that one. So below the Welcome to L.A. sign, Right, is, is small font that says, what good is bad data? And it's, it's for a, what I assume to be a data analytics company called Segment. And I thought that was an extremely hilarious and surprising way to do out-of-home ads that they're meta, but they're also tailored to the city, right? And I, you know, I, over the years, I've seen so many ads in, like so many billboard creatives that try their best to be local and, and, you know, God help them. They they're, they're giving it a shot. You know, if you're a, if you're a copywriter, um, trying to come up with billboard creative, you know, you're, you're sitting in, in your city and you're kind of just, I guess you're probably scouring the internet, looking for inside jokes for different kind of regions. Like the, I'll never forget this one that used to be up by my house in Chicago um, and it was a it was some telecom comp- telecom company. I, I think I remember who it was, but I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Um, and the The ad was like something along the lines of like, "Doesn't ketchup suck on hot dogs?" It, and it's like it's so it's it's almost in the spirit of like, "How do you do, fellow Chicagoans?" Like. We're just one of you all and we're just we're just Chicago people too. And I I just couldn't help but shake the feeling that you know if there was some city out there that was really passionate about having having ketchup on their hot dogs, if you're if you're not aware, putting ketchup on a hot dog in Chicago is a cardinal sin and you'd best not do it. I was not born in Chicago, I was raised a different way, I was a heathen in Chicago, but for all of your information, like don't do that in front of native Chicagoans. Um, if in this hypothetical world there was some city out there that absolutely loved ketchup on hot dogs, I I know that 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 the billboard version in their city would be like, "Hey, fuck Chicago, right? We love ketchup on our hot dogs." And you know, to be fair, you know, not all of those kind of customized quote unquote local i'm doing air quotes none of you can see me local kind of billboard copy plays are so egregious as this one but you know lots of them kind of make these attempts to kind of be like hey we're gonna customize our copy to you and we're gonna do hey what's up merge field whatever city whatever the fuck city we're in right now uh you know we're super relevant to you guys and you know it's it's not necessarily that it's it's inherently a bad practice, and you know, I think people who aren't ultra skeptical of ads, who don't you know aren't aren't dickheads who work in the industry and are are looking for the kind of nuances that go into ads like this. Um, I'm not sure that they that they have quite the same kind of negative reaction that that I do to it, um, but it's not thinking about the ad from the perspective of the person on the other side. And it, it, to be fair it's it's really difficult to. You know, if you're if you're a major brand and you're running billboards in 50 or 100 or 200 cities in the US, I mean, good luck, right? Good good luck writing copy that feels like it's from each of those particular cities. But let's not fake it, right? Like let's <laughs> they know that we're not a local company if we're you know, insert massive telecom brand here. We know they know. They know we know they know. So let's acknowledge that they know that we know that they know. Right? Now, the, the last example, I have to end on a positive note. People tell me that's what I should do, um, is with Geico. I think Geico, you know, obviously a force in advertising a brand that everyone kind of looks up to as, as being extremely creative. I mean, to be able to, to become the advertising monolith that they, that they have become for insurance, right? Like that, that's a feat of creativity and strategy and, and all of the other disciplines uh, in advertising and marketing combined. Um, And we're, we're probably all familiar with the, the super meta ads that, that Geico has done, right? Like they, uh, they did the unskippable YouTube pre-roll ads, where you know it was an it was like a fifteen second unskippable ad on YouTube, and the you know Geico plugged their ooh like I'm saving so much money, and then the omniscient narrator comes in and says, uh, you can't skip this ad because it's already over, um, and it was a super self-aware way right to participate in YouTube without putting any sense of like kind of brand credibility or brand, brand safety on the line. um, Just something that was extremely attention grabbing and in my mind, extremely effective, both, you know, from the perspective of like what's grabbing the attention of fellow advertisers and what's actually going to get people to kind of like stop in their, in their kind of YouTube tracks as they're, as they're kind of transitioning between videos but Geico really has made kind of a legacy, right, of of meta advertising in in subtle ways. The um, the Geico Gecko, right? The whole the whole shtick with the Gecko in the onset was that people were accidentally calling the Gecko because they looked up Geico incorrectly in the phone book. Um, yeah, it was about phone books. Remember those? Still get those. Um, and then, and then there's the Geico caveman, right? Like it was uh, the, the Geico caveman was uh, like there were these ads, right? Where a caveman is walking along in the commercial and then the caveman stumbles across ads that talk about how Geico is so easy that a caveman can do it. And then the caveman gets offended, right? So it's, it's this self-referential in, in a way that's totally contained within the ad itself and that's, that's actually something that, that Geico does really, really effectively and that it's probably gated behind the, the level of media that they, that they buy every year, right? You, you can't have self-referential content um, that isn't kind of everywhere and that everyone's not familiar with. Geico is playing on the fact that people have seen these ads before um, and they're they're using their creative kind of ethos to to update them in, in interesting and kind of compelling ways, or to you know at least carry on that conversation. So you know I, I think it's probably it follows logically that the the most recent Geico campaign was uh, kind of tooting their own horn a little bit. At least that's that's kind of how I looked at it when I first saw it. Right, um, Geico was running. A campaign to get people to vote on their favorite Geico campaign. And that's, that feels like meta in a, in a not super self-aware way, because I don't, I don't, I don't feel like people are tuning in to YouTube to like check out Geico commercials. I mean, except for me in kind of refreshing myself on what Geico creative looked like before I, before I started talking about it here. Um, they're not, they're not super easy to find. So in combination with having people uh, vote on their favorite Geico ads, they also had some kind of sweepstakes going where I guess they offered to bring the sweepstakes winner into a Geico ad. So, uh, you know, that's, that's meta in a whole different way, really, right? So it's, <laughs> we're advertising the fact that you can vote on your favorite Geico ad and the winner of a sweepstakes related to that ad would then become part of a new ad. And I, I have to say the the final product I thought really delivered. I think it was really, really good. So they use, um, you know, you're, you're kind of flashed back through a series of different kind of favorite Geico um, campaigns. There's the, the geckos in it. Uh, there's like a meerkat and I, you know, honestly, I don't remember the meerkat ads. Um, I guess I, I could have gone and looked those up, but, uh, you know, here we are, I'm talking to you live. Um, we have the, the camels in it. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really effective way of kind of reminding us of all of the funny stuff that Geico has done over the years. Um, there it's not especially drawn out. It's not as if, you know, we're, we're being forced to kind of like, watch a, a an ongoing reel of different Geico ads but it, it gave Geico this this license to go dig back into kind of the brand vault, pick out their favorite ads that they've previously run and make them relevant again and then to build them into this kind of you know co-opted here's a, an actual human being from out in the world who now is appearing uh, within an, a Geico ad alongside all of the all the favorites um, and I guess, it's it's tbd to see if if the the winner of the sweepstakes actually gets to become an, another kind of geico spokesperson i i don't know if is that a is that a something that people are seeking out is that a desirable level of fame i i really don't i don't know i don't know i'm sure there's somebody out there maybe this winner is one of them maybe they found the absolute biggest Geico fan in the world, and that's, that's how they chose her. I didn't get into the weeds of the campaign that deeply. But regardless, hilarious and interesting example of a top-tier brand leveraging meta-advertising and really kind of uncovering that they've, they've been meta-advertising all along. Um, much of this, this content that they've made is self-reflexive or acknowledging the medium in some interesting way. Okay, and that's going to do it for us on this episode of Social Media Psychology, the podcast where we look into user psychology to try to get them to buy more of our stuff. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, I hope you subscribe. And if you really liked my stuff, I hope you buy my book when it comes out sometime in 2020, tentatively titled The Hidden Psychology of Social Networks. Drop me a comment on SoundCloud or whatever other platform you find this on. I would love suggestions, thoughts, feedback. What would you like me to cover next? Tune in next time for another episode of Manipulating People's Psychology for Financial Gain. Goodbye. This is the outro music. O bico de escalante,